You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. So actually you guys are kind of lucky because I didn't really have anything to talk about. But I kind of said, oh, they asked me, you have something that you want me to say? He said, yeah, why don't you say this? So I want to start off by thanking the praise team again, because you guys do such a good job of ushering us into God's presence. So that we could enter his gates with thanksgiving and his house with praise. So we thank you for that. I'm so glad to see everyone. We have... Paul and Barbara here, and haven't seen them for a couple of days, and, but it's really good to see you, and we want you to know how much we love you. I thank everybody in attendance. We got Joy back there. I haven't seen her in a while. Hey, Joy, how you doing? And, and everybody that's watching by remote as well, because I know I have a couple of friends or family members that might be watching. There's other people that are watching on, on top of that. So a couple of people have already mentioned what's been going on during the course of this week. We had the founder of our church. Okay, now watch, watch what happens. So we had the founder of our church pass away. So we wanna pray for his family. We had illnesses and we had accidents and we had uh, uh, injuries, and we had people that had just been going through changes. So why don't we stand up so we can pray about that? <laughs> See? And, and then I'll have a word. So Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for all things, Lord. We thank you for the fact that even though we go through changes, that we can trust you. We know that all things work together for our good, so whether we're dealing with an illness or there was an emergency situation or whatever it is, and we left Bill and Jackie before you as well because they're dealing with some sickness and they're our leaders here. But we thank you. We know that we can trust you. and We look forward to all that you're going to do in our lives today and going forward. In your name we pray. Amen. See, I wasn't going to make you all stand up forever. I learned the first time I, you can sit now. The first time, the first time I did it, it was like 20 minutes, and I, I looked up and said, oh, snap, you got to sit down. So. so, naming things is always important. When you name something, it connotes a couple things. One is that you know about that thing, but two is that you actually have authority over it. I can't go to your house and start naming your children, for example, so we have authority to name our children. We also name other people and things affectionately with nicknames. Everybody has talked to a baby and said, oh, look, boo-boo, and all this kind of stuff. I, never, I didn't really do baby talking with my kids because I had a hard enough time talking as it was. But, but we also name our possessions. For example, I have some watches in my house. This is one of them. And I name some of my watches, right? Everybody has at some point, I bet you, called their car Betsy. Anybody ever named their car? There you go. For you old timers in here, and there's not that many, but there might be a couple. Back in the day, there used to be like a lot of cowboy movies and westerns and TV shows. Roy Rogers had a show. He was like the king of the cowboys. Anybody remember Roy Rogers? Okay, Roy Rogers. 
And my man had a sidekick who had a demon-possessed Jeep. You all remember the Jeep? The Jeep used to run on its own. It would start and stop. The doors would open. It would honk from out of nowhere. I learned about demon possession from watching Roy Rogers, really. <laughs> but the bottom line is that in Genesis, Adam started the whole naming things process. What happened was God, after he had created, now get this, he created the universe that's like 14 point something billion years old, although, you know, give or take a week. He created the earth that's about, I think it's somewhere between four and eight billion years old. And then he created man and put him on this planet. And after doing all of that and actually naming the stars, because the stars actually do have names, in fact, he then brought the creation, he brought the animals to Adam for him to name them. He wanted to literally see what Adam was going to call them. So what Adam did was he named every beast of the field and all of the birds in heaven. And whatever Adam called them, then that's what God called them, and that's what we call them now. Now, interestingly, if you think about it, our Father in heaven has many names also. We call him God, we call him Father, but there's a whole list of names. When I was preparing for this, I found a bunch of names. One is Elohim, which means God, mighty creator. There's El Roi, that name means the God who sees me. This El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. El Elohim, the everlasting eternal God. Then there's a name that kind of gets translated different ways, but it means the same exact thing, Yahweh and Jehovah. And that means the Lord will provide, and it also means Lord. There's Adonai, which means Lord and Master. There's Jehovah or Yahweh Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. There's Jehovah Nisi, meaning the Lord is my banner. There's Kadosh Yisrael, meaning the Holy One of Israel. There's Jehovah Tisabov, which means the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Tsuri, which means the Lord is my rock. There's Jehovah Roi, which means the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah, I'm oh, sorry, Ish, which means husband. I hadn't even heard that one before. That was kind of a new one for me. I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't seen that one before. There's El Che, which means living God. El Elyon, which means God most high. Shofet, which means judge. Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. There's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And then there's Ab, or Abba, or Pater, which means father. And there's actually a, a, a number of other names, but I figured I didn't want y'all to go to sleep on me here. But if you take a look in Psalms, there's another cluster of names. They are Moan, Makdesha, Megan, Metsuda, and Migdal Oz. And what they collectively mean is dwelling place and refuge and shield and fortress and strong tower. Now, if you think about all of these names, they really are reflective of some aspect of God's character. Some of them are kind of really titles, you could say, but they reflect his personality and what his character is like. 
So let's take a look back at the first time he did this. If you take a look in Genesis 1, verse 26, when God created Adam, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion. So two words, after his image and after our likeness. Now, when you talk about the word image, what you're saying is resemblance or representation. And there's a whole theory out there, you know, anthropomorphism, that you're not supposed to attribute human physical characteristics to God and all of that. But what scripture says is that we look like daddy. Okay, we're not exactly sure what that means, but we do, in fact, look like him in some kind of shape, form, and fashion. But the one that I want to focus on is likeness, because likeness means character. So we may look like him, but we might not. But what he put in Adam when he created him after his image and likeness is his own character he put into Adam. So when he was naming Adam, what he did was he infused himself into man, mankind, and he designed all of us so that we would f reflect God's character. So let's take a look at Moses, another naming situation. We all know the story of Moses, and if we don't, we should, but we kind of do know the story of Moses. And we know that he was rescued from Pharaoh's wrath by Pharaoh's daughter. She drew him out of the water, and that's why she named him Moses, because Moses means drawn out. So he was raised in Pharaoh's household, he grew up I'd like to imagine what that's like growing up in like the Pharaoh's household, but he grew up in Pharaoh's household. He became from a little baby to a little man, and then he became a strong man, and then he saw an Egyptian beaten up on a Hebrew. So he basically took it upon himself and killed a man and buried him, but then he realized, oh, what I did got out. So because of that, he wound up fleeing from Egypt because he said, uh, I don't want to have to deal with Pharaoh's wrath. And when Pharaoh did find out about him, he was definitely going to kill Moses. So Moses ran from Egypt. He went into Midian where he met his wife. He got married. He got settled there. And then God appeared to him. Now, God had been in the background or the foreground or everywhere looking at what was going on in Egypt. I mean, in, in Egypt with the Israelites. And what he had determined was that, you know what, I'm going to send a deliverer to take them out to give them freedom from what it is that they're dealing with. And he intended to accomplish this through Moses. Now, Moses, and we read about the guys in the Bible and we think, oh, what great men. Yeah, they're kind of like us. We are kind of great in here too, but they make, we make the same mistakes that they did. Because when God, now think about this, God appears to you and says, this is what I want you to do, because that's the way he talks, you know. This is what I want you to do. And Moses immediately started going to excuses. Well, I can't because of this, and I can't because of that. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I know God tells me to do things. Yesterday, he was telling me to do things, and I didn't kind of get around to it. I, well, I kind of did in all honesty, but it's like I didn't do it as fast or the way he exactly wanted me to do it. So we tend to make excuses. Moses made excuses. And his second excuse is what I kind of want to focus on because what he said in trying to get out of it the second time, not the first, fourth, 
or third or fifth time, the second time, he said, well, what if they ask me who sent me? You're sending me back to Israel. What if they ask who it is that sent me? What is his name they're going to say? Because in the Hebrew culture, the naming of something was very, uh, like a bigger deal. We might name our kid Bobby, but that doesn't necessarily translate into something. But in Hebrew culture, you name your child that has something to do with their character, right? And what God said in Exodus 3, verse 14, in response to Moses' second corny excuse was, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. So in preparing this sermon, always, maybe not always, but usually the pastor or the speaker tries to come up with a name for what it is that he's going to be talking about. So I thought about, because I thought it was kind of nifty and cute, at first I started thinking about, well, what's in a name? And that's what I was going to go with. But of all of the names that we mentioned before that I've read about or heard about for God, I like I am the best. I like I am because it speaks to God's existence. It speaks to his power. It speaks to his intentionality. And it speaks to his character. So what I came up with is what I am wants. What I am wants. So before we take a look at what God wants, I figured it'd be good to let's look at what he doesn't want. Because that's going to be, well, I guess it could be as long a list, but we're going to make it a shorter list, right? In Psalm 12, verses 2 through 5, it says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? And then God is stepping in here, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now rise, says the Lord. I will praise him, place him in the safety for which he lives, longs. So what does God not want? He doesn't want to see us lying. He doesn't want to see us speaking with flattering lips where you just say something to make somebody feel good, but in your mind you're really thinking something else about them. He doesn't want us to function with what I call divided hearts, where, well, I say that I love you, but in my mind or with my mouth or behind your back, I'm really thinking and or doing something different. He doesn't want us to get engaged in boasting. He doesn't want us to engage in prideful talk. He doesn't want us to have independent spirits. One of the lines says, who is master over us? He wants us to function in a way that is very clear that we see him as master, as opposed to us walking around, yo, who's in charge here? I can do kind of what I want. And if we take a look at social matters, he also doesn't want to see the poor being abused or the needy suffering. Another set of verses that talk about what God doesn't want. In 1 Corinthians 6, Verses 8 through 9, it says, But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So in that little piece right there, what he's saying is he doesn't want us to engage in wrongdoing. He doesn't want us to engage in deception or defrauding others. 
He doesn't want us to walk in unrighteousness or sexual immorality with all of his many forms. He doesn't want us to engage in idolatrous behavior or stealing or to manifest greed. He doesn't want us to deal with each other or ourselves in drunkenness. And he doesn't want us to rail against one another. And why does he not want these things? Well, because if we practice these things, we will not be able to inherit his kingdom. He wants us to live in a way that we will be able to dwell with him eternally. So what does God want? Now we've gone over a little bit what he doesn't want. What does he in fact want? I like those summary verses in the Bible where you read like, because I'm getting old and I forget stuff. So you read like a line and it, it opens up so many other parts of the Bible for you. Micah verse 6 is one of those. He said, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That kind of summarizes it for me. I saw I was like, oh, wow, this is... I was, I was actually talking to Mark, and I was preaching in Albany one time, and the message was kind of like, what does God want? And Mark said, yeah, well, Michael 6. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that one. That's very good. So what God actually wants and requires of us is justice in our actions. He wants us to be humble in our walk with him. He wants us to show kindness in our interactions with others. And he wants us to manifest steadfast love in all that we do. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 is another one of those summary verses. I kind of remember those because it's not too many words. But the bottom line, Jesus was speaking, and what he said was, and it was actually a command, love God and love your neighbors. That's like a real short list. Love God and love your neighbors. And then he said, by doing this, it fulfills all the law and the prophets. So it's not like you need to necessarily be a Bible scholar or some kind of brainiac where you can remember. All I have to remember is, well, if I love you and I love God, then I'm kind of doing what the law and the prophets is all about. Romans 13:8 gives us another example of what God wants. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In John 15, verses 1 through 5, it says, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking now. I am the vine. And my father, Abba, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We'll talk about that in a second that you may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So what we see there 
is Jesus speaking that he wants us to abide in him. He wants us to bear fruit for his kingdom. He wants us to hear and obey his word. And he wants us to submit to his pruning. Now, I'm not like the garden person. I'm a social worker. I talk to people. That's what I do. Paul, for example, he builds things. If I need something built, I call Paul. Yo, Paul, can you come over and like build this for me? I, that's not what I do. But I do understand pruning. And if you're pruning something, it connotes that, well, you have a bush, for example, but there's dead parts on it, or it's not growing the way it should, or it's not shaped the way it should be. So what do you do if you're pruning? You get a pruning, I guess it's called a shear, but it's a tool, like the, the gardener's scissor, I'll call it. And what you do is you start snipping things off. And you're doing that because it's actually good for the plant itself. And what God is saying is that that's what he wants to do with us which means by definition, there's parts of us that are not being fruitful, that are not looking good, and he wants to take those parts off. But while he's doing that, he really wants us to be dealing with him lovingly and trustingly as he's doing his pruning. We've all seen, if not had, children that you ask them to do something, and it's like you gotta pull them, oh, I don't wanna do it. That's not what he wants us to do when he's pruning. What he wants us to do is walk effectively to him and say, yes, I, even if I don't see it, you see it, and therefore I want you to take some parts of me away that will help. Now in Psalm 15, it says, and David writes, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against him, against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So what is God, what is I am saying that he wants? Well, this passage makes it clear that what God wants us to do is to walk blamelessly. He wants us to speak the truth without divided hearts, which I mentioned. He wants us to not slander others or engage in gossiping, in other words. He wants us to do no evil to our neighbors. Scripture is very clear. Love your enemies. Love your neighbors. He doesn't want us to discredit or disgrace anyone as in speaking to them in a reproachful way. There's nothing wrong, wrong with love and correction. Positive feedback is a good thing. But when what you're doing is pointing your finger and you know, you're getting loud and all that, that's not what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to wink at vile behavior. Now, that's really interesting because if all you have to do is turn on the internet now and you can see stuff about guns or abortion rights or civil rights or voting rights, legislation, all you have to do is turn it on. And our challenge as believers, followers of God, is to not just buy into whatever they're saying out there, we need to match up what God says in his word with what's being said out there. 
And so we shouldn't be winking at it or pretending that we don't see it either. Because if you're seeing and not doing something about it, in a way you're kind of participating in it and you're keeping it alive. God wants us to honor and revere those who reverence him. He wants us to fulfill our commitments even if it hurts. So what that looks like is, well, yeah, I said I was going to drive you to the store. But you know what? It's raining, so I kind of don't feel like doing it now, so I'm just not going to bother to do it. Okay, and there's, you know, deeper things than that, but if we, our word should be our bond. That's what the kids used to say back in the day, like I think it was the 80s, but your word is your bond, and that's what God wants us to do. Here's a, here's a funny one. He doesn't want us to milk others with our money. Don't milk anybody with your money. Now, the joke is, anybody heard of milk money? Okay, so... What he doesn't want us to do is use our money in ways that you really are hurting someone else. If you know someone is in need and you're going to give them money, give them the money. Don't give them the money and then you want something from them. Don't give them the money, I'll give you $100, but I want $120 back. We're not bankers, we're not gangsters. What we are supposed to be is, we're supposed to be as family members. So we should give without milking people from their resources. And also, we're not supposed to be taking bribes. Now, in the legal world and the political world, that's called quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. And what that means is that, and I'm not a Latin expert, but quid is, means something, and pro would mean for, and then quo is you get something for something, right? So we're not supposed to do things so we can get things back. We're supposed to do things because it's the right thing to do. Not with this nefarious thing in the back of our head. So what does God want? If you take a look at Psalm 14, verse 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. So what he wants is for us to act wisely and to act with understanding in terms of the situations that we're facing. And he wants us to seek after him. It shouldn't be kind of like I wander around and, you know, maybe God will drop a thought in my head and maybe I'll, I'll see a pretty bird and it'll make me think about him. No, he wants us to be walking day to day, seeking after him. Romans 12, verses 9 through 13, says some similar things. It speaks to what our character should look like. And remember, God created Adam and our likeness and image. So what he wants us to do is to manifest his character. So what we're called to do is to love genuinely, to hate evil, to hold to what's good, to love one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, to work zealously. I have a thing, all of us as, as you know, parents or adults in some child life, we come up with like these little key phrases. And one of mine for my kids is, whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily like you're doing it unto the Lord. Because that way you're not going to do any schlocky kind of job. It's not going to be something where, well, this is good enough. I remember I was in a training situation and my colleague said, this is good enough. And I'm like, no, no, no. Good. I said it a little stronger than that. But <laughs> I said, no, no, no. Good enough is not good enough. The only thing that's good enough is really good. So we're not going to just do this and kind of get away with it. He wants us to walk in the spirit with intensity. Again, not kind of wandering around out here in the world. He wants us to serve him faithfully. He wants us to rejoice in hope. 
He wants us to patiently endure tribulation. Now, out there were all these theories, oh, you love God, you don't have to go through no changes, you name it and claim it, you don't have to worry about it, God loves you, so you're not Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. I, I just said it, but I mean, that wasn't my idea. I would come up with something different. But he said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he wants us to endure it patiently. He wants us to pray constantly, and he wants to supply, he wants us to, to, to supply the saints' needs and to show hospitality, a smile, come on over for a cup of coffee, whatever it is that you can do. Now, going on in chapter Romans 12, verses 14 to 21, it adds some things, and it reads, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that's really interesting because ever run into somebody where it's like, well, I won't say that you can't stand them, but there's things about them where it's like, it just rubs me all kinds of the wrong way. Okay, so what God is saying, he, he's making room for that. He's saying, you know what, I, I see that there are times when there's just going to be oil and water. There you go, oil and water. It's just not going to mix. But as much as you can live peaceably in those situations, that's what he wants us to do. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if, you're hung, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Summarize all of that. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Now, what you have right there is like a list of another 16 characteristics where this is what God wants to see in us. So what does I am want? If you take a look at Jeremiah 9, verse 24, it says, But let him who boasts, boast in this. So he's not saying don't boast. He's saying boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Steadfast love and justice and righteousness. So what God wants us to do is to be proud of him and tell others about him. Think about it. If you ever did something, you were younger, you were in school, you got a good grade, you came home and said, oh, look what I did. I'm boasting. You know, use the word, but that's what I'm doing. I'm boasting about something that I accomplished. He wants us as his children to be like that when it comes to discussing him with other people. He wants us to brag on him, if you will. He wants us to understand and walk faithfully with him. He wants us to reflect his character. And we've just been going over a whole list of the ways, his ways and what he does and how he is. That's what he wants us to be and to be like. 
steadfast in our love, just in our actions and interactions with others, and living righteously. Not self-righteously, but righteously. In Psalm 37, verses 1 to 9, it says the following. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Now, we've all looked around and seen people doing some really dirty, slimy, crazy things. We don't need to worry about that. It's going to be taken care of soon enough. If you really think about it, we're going to live on this earth 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and then we're going to dwell in eternity. It's not, time is not even relevant there. Okay? It's a whole different state of existence. So even while we look at these things, we don't need to really worry about that too much. And I'm not, for those of you that know me personally, no, I'm not like Pollyanna. But the deal is, is, no, really, because I do sometimes have opinions, but I'm getting better. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but the deal is, is we don't have to worry about what we see going on and people that are prospering prospering in their way over the man who's carrying out his evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit, inherit the land. So here's another list of for us to-dos. These are some of our to-dos because what he wants for us as his children and as saints is the following. He doesn't want us to be fretful. He doesn't want us to be envious. He wants us to trust in him and to do good. He wants us to find safe pasture and delight in him. He wants us to commit our ways to him. He wants us to be still and wait patiently in all the different scenarios that we're looking at. He wants us to refrain from anger and wrath. And he wants, he wants us to avoid evil by embracing faithfulness instead. The deal is, is he will not forsake us. We are his children and therefore we're saints. And he is our loving father who never fails. Think about this. If I, if you, because the Yankees are God's favorite team. <laughs> so I don't care what anybody comes in here and says, so, so, amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to use a baseball analogy. If you are a baseball player and you have a lifetime batting average of 300, 350, there might have been one or two that had like 400 batting averages. That's like you're like real good. You're going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. However, that means that if you have a 400 batting average, which I'm not even sure that ever existed, that means six out of ten times you're striking out. Six out of ten. Now, if anything else that we do, if we're talking that kind of average, it'd be like, wow, that kind of is like not so good. 
but if you're playing a sport, six out of ten successes is fantastic. God is batting a thousand all the time, never strikes out. He doesn't even get base hits. Every time he gets up, he's knocking it out the park like the Yankees were doing yesterday. But that's, that's a different conversation. But he never, ever fails. So some closing thoughts. If we look at Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8, it says, For God alone, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Trust in him. Pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. So what does I am want? He wants us to reflect his likeness in our character. He wants us to dwell eternally with him. And he wants us to accept his love expressed towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He wants us to accept his love as has been manifest in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, God, our, our Father, is I am. That's how he identified himself. But Jesus also made some I am statements. In John 8, verse 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, in that scenario, he was in the temple in Jerusalem, and he was talking to some doubting Jews who were calling him a demoniac and basically saying that he was uh, like a Samaritan. They were hated down the years because they were sent to colonize Israel during different you know, occupations and what have you. And when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they picked their rocks to stone him. But we know he didn't die by being stoned. And then again, in John 10, verse 30, he said, I and my father are one. So if God said, I am that I am, and Jesus said, my father and I are one, he was therefore, by definition, also saying, I am. Now, we might not necessarily have gotten our culture, but the Jews got it back then, and they picked up rocks to stone them another time. But once again, it didn't wind up working. So what I am wants is he wants you to experience his love. He wants you to experience his forgiveness. He wants you to experience his eternal kingdom. So what I encourage everyone to do is the following. If you don't know Christ, accept him today. Just today, we won't do the, oh, but if you get hit by a bus on the way home, you know, where are you going? We're not doing that. Accept him as soon as it's possible. If you've already accepted him, but you're kind of slipping and you're kind of not doing what you need to do, then recommit your life to him because he loves you. And finally, if you're doing okay, but in your heart of hearts you look and say, you know, I could be doing better than I'm doing, then what I want you to do is rededicate your efforts in terms of walking with him. So I'm done. God bless you. And, and I want to say a quick prayer before I end. Lord, we come before you. 
We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father, for your many attributes and characteristics. We thank you that you've made them clear to us so that we could read about it and think about it and talk about it and go about living our lives in ways that please you. I pray for all of us, Lord, for myself, my family, that you would continue to guide and direct us. I thank you for that. I thank you for all that are here, all that are listening, and all the many lives that are going to be touched by ours because if we live out your lifestyle and we manifest your characteristics, we're going to be encouraging others to join and to dwell in your eternal kingdom. So help us to do that, Lord. Give us, you've given us authority as well as ability. And I pray that you help us to use it effectively so that we draw others into your kingdom. Your kingdom is proclaimed and your name is lifted. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.